1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I become all things to all people so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the price. Well, good morning. Well, seeing as we're going to be looking at a whole lot of big picture stuff today about mission and movements and uh, thinking the big thoughts, I thought it might be good actually today to just think about the personal side of... Uh, being a missioner. I want to talk mission. Let's talk about what it means actually personally to do that. Uh, and the passage that Scott's just read to us um, from 1 Corinthians 9 very much shows the, the heart of the, the Apostle Paul. Um, I've, I've got to speak at a conference in a few weeks' time. I'm just reading through the book of Acts uh, again. I think I read through it twice last year in my quiet times. Uh, I'm starting a third time and you just can't help but uh, um, fall in love with, in a blokey kind of way, uh, the, the Apostle Paul and, uh, and his big heart. And in 1 Corinthians 9, he talks about like, his big heart for people. I'll tell you what I've noticed. Um, I'm going to read from the uh, ESV, or the Eastern Suburbs version, as we call it. Uh, the ESV just gives a little more literal translation than the NIV, which hides a couple of things. If you look at the end of, the end of chapter 9 there, from, from 19 down to 27, here's what I've noticed. There's twice that the Apostle Paul talks about putting himself into slavery. Or the word doulos, slave, is a key part of two terms that he uses about himself. See in verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win some of them. The word literally, the servant word literally is doulo. I've made myself a slave. I've enslaved myself. Um, Why? To win. Uh, And the idea is like to gain something through an activity or an investment to win people. And then if you look down at verse 27, he says, But I've disciplined my body, and the ESV's gone for keep it under control. Uh, The actual word is, um, it's a pretty catchy word actually, do do lay go go. There you go, do lay go go, uh, which means to bring under control. Or the idea is do los ago, to lead someone as a slave, being led as a slave. You can see how they get keep my body under control. And so he talks about two different ways he's made himself a slave and with two different, if you like, outwardly, two very different actions that he does, but for the same reason. Let me walk you through and and let's have a look at this idea of, as a gospel worker, making yourself a slave. So he says, um, uh, 9 verse 19, For though I am free free from all, I have made myself a servant, or literally, I've enslaved myself, a servant to all, that I might win more of them. 
And then he goes through and talks about the different kinds of people that he's engaged with. Uh, To the Jew, I became as a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Uh, To the weak, namely the weak in conscience, if you put the rest of the letters together, the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. And then he says, I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Uh, It's quite simple really, isn't it? What he's saying is he would change his behaviour, his actions, whatever, to quote a well-known Australian political phrase, whatever it takes. Okay? Whatever it takes to win them. So the so the gospel, he'll get a hearing with, his, with the gospel of Jesus. Now, I, I suspect that that was pretty tough for a leading Pharisee. Like the first time he sat down to the meal of, um, you know, pork belly and, uh, and whatever else and prawns, uh, that, that was going to be difficult. Probably realised how good it was after that. But, I mean, the first time he did it, I reckon it would have been hard work. Okay. And so what's he saying? Um, His customs, what he ate, what he drank, uh, whether or not he kept special days or Sabbaths, whether he drank alcohol or not, whatever he did was at the disposal of other people for their good so that the gospel could get a hearing. The willingness to change comes out of a sense of gospel urgency so that people will be able to hear the gospel. Okay? Look, really simple example. I hate wearing a suit. I really do. Um, give me a pair of thongs, a pair of shorts any day. And so why am I wearing a suit? Because at lunchtime I've got to disappear over there and do City Bible Forum, which is like a gospel meeting for people to bring their friends. And if you're an office worker, if you want to be invisible, you wear a suit. That, so I'm in a suit. Okay, I've got the tie in the, in the jacket. But it's a deeper issue of a willingness to change. And for years, if I could say, uh, I mean, I'm an old bloke now, uh, for years I've been working with individuals uh, and churches and denominations. And I think I'd say the two biggest human factors, the sovereign God Almighty does as he pleases, but at a human level, the two biggest factors in gospel growth are leadership and a willingness to change. Leadership and a willingness to change, and it's no surprise because those two are intimately linked. Leadership's all about actually bringing change. Let me just... I said I talked about individuals, churches, denominations. Let's just have a quick think about willingness to change. Denominations, it's very hard to bring change, isn't it? Very hard. Um, So last year I was invited uh, by a couple of uh, good-hearted gospel men, one of whom's in the room, so I'll be careful how I speak about it, to speak to a particular denomination... Um, I think he wanted me to uh, run the ball up, possibly get tarred and feathered, and then um, uh, as I left, he could, you know, pick it up. But these are good-hearted people who have held the line biblically and stayed faithful to the truth, and yet I did a little bit of research. In this particular denomination, 50% of their churches have less than 50 people. 40% of their churches have less than 25 people. Of those 40%, most of them will not exist in 10 years unless they do something, unless they change. And at the same time, they're sitting on multi-million dollar properties and so on, and and will they change as a result? I, I don't know. 
She said, well, wait a minute. They've, they've got to change, haven't they? It's obvious. They're, they're on their way to oblivion as, as church. They've got... No, I'll tell you what, ladies and gentlemen. Palliative care in church life is comfortable. Palliative care in church life is comfortable. And most denominations lack the will to change. Why? Change is risky, uncomfortable. The guys who are in charge of the denomination usually have been there for quite a long time and they're comfortable with things because it's the system that's put them in charge. And it takes massive, a massive sense of urgency to bring change. Or individual churches. There's so many churches that are dying and yet will resist change. The last gasp of their strength is to pull the handbrake on. And what do we do? We keep sending young guys... Um, to be pastors of those churches that just have enough strength to keep the handbrake on, resist them and possibly kill them in the time. And you say, wait a minute, well, to the churches, do you want to grow? Yes. Do you want to change? No. You can't have... Change or die. Why? Growth in church life is risky, it's messy, it's uncomfortable. Death in church life is comfortable predictable and slow. And it just takes a massive sense of urgency and leadership to bring that change. Like, even with individual Christians to change uh, for the sake of others. Um, like at the simplest possible level, could we actually, when we get up, and in our churches, could we actually, when we get up after church, could we actually go and talk to someone we don't know rather than just talking to our friends? So, well, that... No. Our churches would never do that. I mean, our churches are good at welcoming people. You do not know if your church is friendly. Why? Well, you're the pastor or an elder or one of the important people in the church and you don't know. Um, okay, put it aside. Rant approaching, okay? Rant approaching. In a previous job that I, I would have to go to uh, a number of churches in the southern south of Sydney... And I'd turn up, I'd be the guest speaker and to do a few other things. And my lovely wife, Kathy would come with me. Now, sometimes I would walk into the building 10 or 15 minutes early to get organised and she would come in later. Okay, You can meet her later. She's really nice and friendly and, I think, very cute. And she would walk into these churches that were geared up for a special guest meeting. And she would walk in 5, 10 minutes early and sit down and no one would speak to her until I found out she was the first lady, and then they're all over. But that happened again and again and again. If you think your church is friendly, you get someone who's a stranger to come and just check. And what I'm, what I'm saying, the big thing, can people just step out of their comfort zone, change who they speak to to welcome... Now, I think we have trouble in most of our churches just getting people to talk to the ones who are there. I'll tell you what we've got to do. We've got to change our churches to be welcoming to the people who haven't turned up yet. That's the next step. Anyway, sorry, that's the end of the rant. Well, not quite. Um, and for us as gospel ministers, how do, how do we need to change so that people can hear the gospel from us? It is very easy to have a comfortable ministry career. And I choose those words jarringly but deliberately. It's very easy to have a comfortable ministry career and yet... What do we need to change? Where does the will to change come from? Paul will say in his next letter to the... Or 
I know there's maybe one missing, but he'll say in 2 Corinthians, Christ's love compels us. The love of Christ, the love for other people. What's he say, verse 23? I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share um, with them in its blessings. There's a little bit of a question about the translation there. Is he saying he wants to share the benefits of the gospel with others, or is he saying he wants to share in that himself? Uh, the word literally, it's um, fellowship together, sun um, koinonia. I think they might be asking the wrong question. I think he's, what he says literally is, I do it because of the gospel so we can fellowship together with people. Now, that's the first kind of slavery. He makes himself a slave. This is what I like about this passage. He makes himself a slave so he can be infinitely flexible. Got that? He makes himself a slave so that anything can change. But then he goes straight on to talk about a slavery of a different kind that has exactly the opposite result. Okay? Have a look. Um, he talks about, um, from verse 24, where he talks... Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Uh, the word race, stadion, um, you can work out where we get the, word, the English word stadium. Uh, a stadia was 185 metres. Uh, I'm assuming that, that you know, they ran the 185 metres. What's he saying? When you're in a race, be deliberate about how you're running. You want to, you want to win the prize. In verse 25, the NIV says everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Yeah, it troubles you miss something there. The ESV gets it right. The ESV says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. And what I want to pick up is the ESV shows you the self-control word there. Okay, self-control. Now, self-control doesn't sound doesn't sound a particularly spiritual thing, does it? And I guarantee, if you um, if you ran the self-control booth at the Body, Mind, and Spirit Fair down at Darling Harbour, you know you're probably not going to get as many visitors as the um, I won't fill in the gap, you know, as some of the other stuff. Okay. And yet, self-control is very spiritual. Self-control is one of the gifts of. The spirit, one of the fruits of the spirit, uh, Galatians five twenty two. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things, there's no law. Um, it's the same word as um, Peter uses in his second letter, as he, he writes to the Christians about supplement your faith with um, virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self control. And once as you dig around with it, to control one's desires and actions. Isn't it interesting that the work of the Spirit of God, I mean, Jesus will say where the, the New Testament will say, sorry, where the Spirit is, there is freedom, and the work of the Spirit is to give self-control. And so actually, guys, ladies and gentlemen, I I think the beautiful irony is that freedom is found in self-control. Because who's in charge with self-control? Self. You're not being run by your hormones or substances or whatever it is. And so what's he say? Verse 26, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. What's he saying? I control my own body, my own appetites, my own actions. I I keep them under control. Uh, He chooses the athlete, uh, hard work for a transient reward, uh, interesting, verse 26, he chooses boxing. So I don't box as one beating the air. Um, I, um, 
decided it was time that my son ought to get some uh, self-defence training. So, uh, anyway, it seemed like a good idea at the time. Uh, so we went, uh, went and had a boxing lesson last week. And uh, the guy, the boxing coach, threw me the gloves and we ended up um, sparring. Now, one thing I certainly learned is when you're 53, don't spar with your 23-year-old son. Uh, I have a shirt full of sore ribs to uh, demonstrate it. Um, and he sat me on my bum very quickly as well. But anyway, but what I watched is this. The guy who ran the boxing classes did sparring with me for three minutes and didn't raise a sweat. Sparring with my son for three minutes, didn't raise a sweat. Sparring, and just kept going. We, we finished gasping free. I'll tell you why. Because we're all bouncing around and kind of... And he was absolutely calm and still. And just moved, just calm, balanced, still, not flailing around. And that, I think that's why Paul picks it, you know? It's discipline and calmness and knowing what you're doing. Now, isn't it interesting that he picks ministry? What does he pick? He picks the athlete and the boxer. He doesn't say quilting and cross-stitch. Now, there's nothing wrong with quilting and cross-stitch, okay? But why does he pick the athlete? It's hard work. The one in the race, agonizomai, was the first part is agony. The one who competes, the one who struggles. It's hard work. And boxing... I'll tell you why he picks boxing. Because if you're in ministry, you're going to get hit. You're going to get criticised. You're going to get tired. You're going to get knocked down. You're going to be in conflict. And and why is it in ministry work that he's so big on self-control? I'll tell you why, ladies and gentlemen. That is, uh, you just need discipline in ministry work. More is expected of us, and rightly so. James says we'll be judged more strictly. We have 168 hours in the week. If you're in gospel ministry, you have that privilege. Other than about four hours a week, nobody knows where you are or what you're doing. We have massive opportunities for sin and hypocrisy. Uh, For those of us who are married, we need to work hard on our marriages. Uh, If you're a pastor, you will find that women trust you, that they treat you with respect and so on, that often you don't deserve. Where do we need to be self-controlled? Interesting, I've got to prepare a talk at the moment on uh, 1 John 2 about do not love the world. The interesting is John picks it up. Where does he say particularly that the world will, uh, that we have to have, a, have our eyes open to the world? He talks about uh, 1 John 2, 15 and 17, the lust of the flesh, which is not just sex. I think it's the idea of being dominated or run by your senses. Senses are good and, and enjoying things, but it's being run or dominated by your senses. He talks about the lust of the eyes, which I assume means greed and envy. And he talks about the pride of life, or if you like, the vain glory is the word, of trying to impress one another. Don't, don't be sucked into those things. So I wonder if I could ask you, um, where do you need to be self-controlled? You've got 168 hours a week, and probably 164 of those, no one knows, has to know where you are. Here's my questions for you. Maybe it's in the area of time. Maybe you need to work on actually sleeping properly so that the the rest of the time you're functional. Maybe you need to work on um, actually going to bed at a set time so you can get up at a set time. Uh, For you young guys, let me just be... I don't mean to be grumpy, but anyway. um, If you want to be taken seriously by adults, you have to start keeping adult hours. That means being out of bed before 10am, Okay. Uh, etc. 
but I do my best work between 2 and 3 a.m. Yeah, that means no one's ever going to see you at your best, okay? So you've got to actually start keeping, um, you've got to start keeping adult hours if you want to be treated like an adult, um, uh, etc. You've got to learn when to start work and you've got to learn when to stop work. And yes, dear, I did say, I, okay, right, I, that's right. So that's my problem. You know, if this talk with your wife in the room. Okay. Uh, gentlemen, and how long are you spending on your sermons? I'm not going to tell you how long it's got to be, but let me tell you, it needs to be more than 40 minutes and less than 40 hours. And probably, uh, you know, probably both of those sins are in the room at the moment. And that is we need to be self-controlled in how we use time and preparation and so on. Are you praying? Are you disciplined in when you pray and how you pray? Are you being disciplined in your relationships? Do you need to spend more time with that one particular woman that you're married to and less time with other women or whatever it is? Do you need to be disciplined with money? Do you need to actually get out and raise some? Do you need to stop spending it? Do you need to be disciplined with alcohol? Do you need to be disciplined with food? Do you need to be disciplined with your exercise? That's what Paul's saying. Now, for me, uh, I'm not... I'm not a particularly disciplined person. Okay? I don't know if you've seen the episode of The Simpsons where Homer says he lives in the impulse zone, I don't know, and trying to convince Ned Flanders to... Right? Me, naturally, the impulse zone. Great fun. So what I've got to do is I've actually got to make myself rules that I stick by. Is that... Am I, am I a strong man? No, I don't think I am, actually. But what I've got to do is make rules and be disciplined and self-controlled. Why? So I can function. And... And, ladies and gentlemen, the stakes are high. You see verse 27. But I discipline my body and keep it under control. And this is the apostle speaking, lest after preaching to others I myself should be disqualified. And that is, he, he's not... This is the man that writes about predestination, OK? Um, uh, he's not going to leave it to chance. He's not going to be disqualified from, the, from sharing in the gospel and salvation. In 2011... There were three men that I would have counted as peers in ministry. Not close friends, but guys I would have stopped with, had a chat in the street or at a conference, guys who went to the same Bible college as me, three of them, who are now out of the ministry because of adultery. Um, and, and there's a list of casualties looking further back. And it all started with them not being self-controlled. And at least one man I know who I went through Bible college with has walked away from the faith. You notice Paul says, both of these now, let me finish up. He makes himself a servant or a slave, one, to be infinitely flexible so that others can hear the gospel, and the other, to be disciplined and hold the line personally, and yet they both have the same goal, what that people will share in salvation through knowing Jesus as Lord. How about we pray? Now, Father, ask please that you might give us uh, a very clear understanding of the love of Christ and so compel us that we would make ourselves servants or slaves to others and be prepared to change. Please help us to bring change in our own lives where necessary, change in our churches, um, uh, our denominations and so on. Please give us that sense of urgency to change so that people might hear the gospel. And our Father, please... Make us men and women who are disciplined and self-controlled and so find freedom and uh, that we might be able to be disciplined in how we uh, live so that we might live lives that bring glory to the Lord Jesus. And we ask this in his name. Amen.